welcome back to the Oral Health Podcast. I'm joined again by Karen, our resident dental nurse and expert, and we're going to be introducing a new case study story to you. Uh, But first off, Karen, how are you doing? Oh, really good. I'm so excited about uh, introducing you to Sarah. Sarah is uh, one of our Mouth Cancer Ambassadors, and um, she is so passionate about um, spreading awareness of mouth cancer and the journey that she's been on. Um, I can't wait for you to meet her. And I can't wait to hear her story. So without further ado, here is Sarah David. Sarah, really quickly, do you want to just introduce yourself? Um, who are you? What do you like to do? Um, you know, all that all that standard stuff. Okay. Um, I'm Sarah Davies. I currently work as a data protection or um, information governance officer for um, a council in the West Midlands. Um, I normally in my spare time like doing things like watching films, um, reading. Um, I don't tend to go out as much as I used to because as well as having head and mouth cancer, I've got another condition, um, which is Crohn's disease, which, uh, I've currently got a flare up. So that's sort of limiting how much I can be out of the house anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I work from home, which is sort of quite convenient with my current situation. Um, but yeah, I mean, usually, sort of, like I say, reading, um, TV, sort of seeing family. Um, we've got three cats as well, so they keep us quite busy. Um, that's sort of it, really. I don't have a massively exciting life. It still sounds nice. I mean, that's what I like to do in my spare time: just spend time with friends and uh, yeah. read books, relax. It sounds like a great day. <laughs> But, you know, we're here to talk about mouth cancer. Are you, um, because you're one of our mouth cancer ambassadors, we are always really grateful that you're able to sit and share your story um, in such detail. Can we go back to the beginning? What was it like even before you got your diagnosis? What did you notice? How did you feel? Um, Are you all right to walk us through that? Um, It started in October 2013. Um, when I had what I thought was just a normal um, sort of mouth ulcer. Um, but then it started impacting um, the area above one of my back wisdom teeth. And again, I'd had ongoing issues with this tooth. So I thought it was just maybe impacted, sort of put up with it for a little while. And then it just wouldn't go away. I was getting quite a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the November of 2013, um I went to the dentist and said, you know, I've got this issue. I thought maybe it was a wisdom tooth or something. I've got an infection. Um, What did they suggest? And they basically said that um, they prescribed antibiotics. So did that, didn't seem to help. Um, They did a filling that didn't make it any better either. So I kept going back. And interestingly, it was actually um, mouth cancer, um, action month because it was in the November and there were posters all around the waiting room but nobody really sort of mentioned that as a possibility so I, I didn't sort of worry about it um got to December and it was my 40th birthday that year and I was sort of not happy that I was obviously still having quite a lot of issues nothing was really getting sorted got through Christmas and it was quite difficult to eat on the left side so by the January I went back to the dentist and they basically said it was sinusitis that they didn't even think it was a tooth issue um 
So we went to my GP and they disagreed, sent me back to the dentist because the two were sort of combined. Um, and they said, look, you know, we think Sarah needs um, a root canal. You know, can you look at doing this for her? And something just told me that I, I didn't want a root canal, to be honest. So I said, look, rather than that, can you just take the tooth out? And, you know, hopefully that will fix it. So they took the tooth out and I just had more problems. Um, the infection seemed to be getting worse. Um, there was more pain. I couldn't eat on that left side at all by this point. And this went on um, back and forth to the dentist until about the April, by which point they didn't know what to suggest. So they offered to refer me to the hospital. And I said, yeah, I think, you know, that time's come. If we can do that. Um, went to see the Max facial team and they did further x-rays and investigation and they didn't really seem to know what it was. And I kept saying, that, you know, can you just take my wisdom tooth out? Um, and they said, well, we will, but there's something else going on and we need to ascertain what that is. And they said that in one of my x-rays, the root of um, one of the teeth on that top left side, it was almost like it had disappeared and it, they were a little bit concerned. And by this point, we were sort of getting into the summer, so this was about June, and I was due to go on holiday. And they said, look, we'll get you in, we'll do a biopsy, um, take the tooth out and see where we go from there. And I didn't want to go on holiday having just had a wisdom tooth extracted. So I got them to delay it by a couple of weeks. I went away, um, still having real problems with eating and sort of chewing. Um, came back in the July. I think I got back from holiday on the Friday. I was booked in to have surgery on the Monday. Um, took the tooth out, did the biopsy. And I didn't really think that much more about it. I, by this point, I'd had quite a lot of antibiotics. Um, nothing seemed to be touching the infection. Um, and then I went for the results at the end of August. It was the Thursday just before August bank holiday. Um, my son had some friends staying over. Um, again, sort of routine appointment, didn't think anything of it. And when I got to the hospital, there were quite a lot of people in the room. And I thought, oh, OK, this is a bit unusual. And they asked me how I was. And I said, well, you know, obviously still struggling on. It's not sorted, but I don't know what the next stage is. And they sort of had a look at me and they said, well, we've done the biopsy and we've actually found malignant cells. And I think it just floored me. I just really wasn't expecting to hear it. And I was a bit concerned because my son, obviously, it was summer holidays. He was with me um, and he sort of was looking and I was trying to not play it down. But I thought, well, don't panic because you know, I don't know what it means yet. Um, and from that point, things started to happen really quickly. I was back in hospital within about two weeks um they took out the tumor i had to have eight teeth taken out because they wanted to remove any teeth that had fillings or that could potentially be a problem in the future as i was going to have to most likely have radiotherapy and that was going to cause issues in itself um and then after that surgery i think that was then about 10th 11th of september um, the next time I went in was about mid-October mm -hmm. to have, um, they put in um, an obturator to basically help with the healing. Um, so that had to be taken out again. And at that point, that was when I really started to see the impact of the surgery um, that I'd got uh, Christmas, which was like a lockjaw, which I sort of been told about when I'd had my consultation, but you don't really take everything in. There's so much information um, and it was a possibility. They didn't say it would definitely happen. 
and then there's differing degrees and I sort of thought if I got it it might be quite mild and I remember asking the consultant um you know what when will I sort of start to get the movement back in my jaw and he said well you probably won't this, this is it this is the trismus um and I have to say back then I actually had more movement than I've got now I mean I think now it's about as severe as it can probably get um it's basically so severe that I have to drink through straws um it impacts my eating which then obviously impacts my weight and things so it's sort of gone from being something that was totally unexpected to even be what the diagnosis would be sort of however long it was in the end sort of went in the November I got the diagnosis at the end of August then what are we now sort of nearly nine years on um it's you know obviously been quite um I'd say in some ways it's quite life-changing um so it's yeah it's been it's been an experience I think I'd probably say no yeah it sounds it sounds it and you know um you know like I said it's been a long time it's been years but the effects are still lingering and I can yeah. you know I can only imagine what that must be like um they they did say so following the first surgery they said to basically um try and do stretches as much as possible and I saw the speech and language therapy team who were brilliant um and they gave me sort of jaw exercises to sort of strengthen it um because with the other treatments so I had uh, 33 sessions of radiotherapy following my surgery and then I did I should have had three chemos but I ended up having two because there was an issue um, and I think then because of then having had the radiotherapy it just where it was it, it just basically destroyed the muscles um, and where they'd had to take the tumour out they'd taken more than they thought they'd have to because the tumour was bigger than they first thought um, so they'd had to cut into the muscle, which basically then just took away any sort of remaining um, movement that I had. Um, and then obviously I'd get good and bad days. So I'd have days where I'd sort of use, um, I still do actually, I haven't got any on, on my desk, um, like the wooden sort of spatulas that they use when you go to see the GP and they want to look at the back of your throat. I use those to basically get in the gap that I have got, the tiny little gap, and stretch um my jaw using those um which can help then obviously if I am trying to get food in um but because it has sort of then obviously if as things time's gone on it has just basically tightened more and more and obviously I've had times when I've been under the weather or you know I had sort of during COVID I had a couple of times when I got COVID and you just don't really feel like doing anything and that all impacts it so some of that is obviously down on to me but I'm on a waiting list now to have hopefully surgery in the future and they're going to try and see if they can cut the muscle or do anything just to try and alleviate it a little bit because that what I'm left with is when I try to eat the fact that I've already got teeth missing on the left side anyway I have to chew on the right I can't even really chew food and to try and eat I use um a cake fork because it's tiny enough to be able to just sort of get it in um I can't get a spoon or any utensils in my mouth so I have to break up food into really little pieces and then sort of put them in the side of my cheek and try and chew them that way but I tend to find that if I don't chew well enough 
um, or it's something that's not a really soft food um, that when I'm then swallowing, because that was the other thing that was affected was the muscles in, in around my neck and esophagus, um, that food doesn't always go down. So then things get stuck and you like, feel like you're choking, um, which can sort of be, you know, obviously quite frightening. Um, but I've learned to sort of deal with that in that if I can still talk, I can see still air going in and it's just about staying calm. Yeah. And then drinking, I have to drink with a straw. Um, if I try and drink normally, um, it's trying to then swallow um, to get the drinks go down, which then either means that I end up sort of coughing and spluttering or it ends up coming out of my nose. Um, so the easiest thing is just to drink through a straw. But then that can cause issues because to get the suction, I have to end up holding my nose. So people that know me... I can be sitting like having a glass of wine or something and I'm sort of drinking it with a straw holding my nose. Um, whereas for someone that's only just met me, obviously not drinking wine, but you know, having a tea or a coffee. And I sort of sometimes feel I have to explain myself, which I know I don't, but I have I have no issue talking about it. If you know people want to know, I'm quite open and honest about um, you know, what's happened, what my journey's been. Um, because it's something that I think is becoming more common hearing more and more about people who have mouth cancer and everybody's journey is different but I think well if I can say something that then somebody might react to something quicker or might seek help sooner or you know might go and get a second opinion it's in some ways it's, it's been worth it because then at least that helps somebody else yeah and I mean it's just such a healthy way to look at it if you know to be able to go through something like that and still come out the other side and say if I can use it to help other people it's all been worth it it's really really admirable Sarah yeah I mean it is amazing because we can come out with the statistics and all of the signs and symptoms but hearing people at different stages as well through the the journey a lovely mm. word um is is really great and it's it's so empowering I think as well and I think I hope it empowers our ambassadors as well because mm -hmm. I think that um you know it's such a great thing to be able to um you know have a, a you know a real life experience and sharing it with people as you say hopefully it will mean people will uh, recognize things earlier which you know leaves more of you to uh to work with afterwards so yeah, yeah it's great yeah. I want to circle back just really quickly because you mentioned radiotherapy um what you had 30 30 something yeah, sessions that's right um what was it like I mean everyone that we spoke to that's been through radiotherapy seems to say roughly the same thing they really didn't enjoy it it was hard um but if you're able to share your experience yeah, it's um, it's funny because when they said that that was what they were going to go with, the radiotherapy and the chemo, um, it took a little while. So that was sort of in the October. I didn't start until about the 10th of November. And um, they said it will be Monday to Friday every day um, until obviously you finished. And they said that you will literally, you know, you have to come and have it. You know, no matter how you're feeling, you have to come every day and have it. It's like antibiotics, you know, once you start, you've got to keep it going. And I was thinking, yeah, you know, that's fine. And they said, it's about 10 minutes a day. And my son was still at um, secondary school. He just started in year seven at this point. Um, so I was trying to work it around 
sort of being able to pick him up from school. And I remember saying, well, if it's only 10 minutes, then I can still go into work. And they said, no, you'll honestly, you know, just take get a sick note, you'll be off work until like, you're better and then, you know, worry about that after. And I just didn't think it was going to be that big a deal. Um, and it started and the first three weeks were fine. You know, I didn't really feel it was anything sort of um, too terrible. Um, team were brilliant. I go in, um, have the sort of the session. Um, having the mask fitted was interesting because they you literally have this mask that goes over your whole head and shoulders, and then it's um sort of you're almost stuck down to the bed, so you can't move, and it's really tight just so they can keep you really still. And they did say to me, I think if you lose. I want to say it was about 5% of your weight, then they have to redo it because it comes too loose. And again, I just, none of it made any sense because I, you know, I, I didn't really know what was coming. Um, and I went and sort of every day, Monday to Friday, and my consultant said to me, the oncologist, if you get to the point where you just think, you know, I don't want to do it, I can't do it. She said, I don't care if you're in A&E, I will come and get you because that's how important it is. And I was laughing. I just thought, you know, this is funny. Um, and I tried to sort of keep a really positive attitude. And we got to about, I think it was about the 1st of December. And I was still going to appointments on my own and you know, driving, everything else. And I noticed that my sense of taste had completely gone. I was eating a chocolate in the car before I went in for my appointment. And it just didn't taste like anything. It was the weirdest experience. Um, and it was just, it's really hard to explain. It wasn't even like having a cold because I, my tongue had started to get like all furry. So textures and everything were really odd. Um, and I remember sitting in the waiting room and I texted my husband because I'd gone to sort of scratch the side of my head and a load of hair had come out. And I said to my husband, oh, I, I think you might have to come and start attending appointments with me because I've just um scratched and he thought I was going to say I've just scratched the car and I said no I've just scratched my head and my hair like started coming out and from that point it just started to go downhill really quickly and I started losing weight I didn't want to eat anything because nothing tasted right it was just eating anything was an effort um actually going into the sessions although they were really quick I could smell like um almost like the smell of bleach and it just made me feel really queasy uh so I just used to hold my breath as long as I could for like the last little bit when the smell would start and they'd get me through it really quickly and sort of chat to me the whole time and say you know if you feel really unwell just put your hand up and we got into probably sort of um, second week of December um by this point I had a feeding tube um because I was just losing weight too quickly um which that in itself was not pleasant um and then on my birthday um we ended up I ended up actually having to go into hospital and they put me on to sickness and as they said literally I was like you know you need waiting to be taken to a ward and they came and fetched me for my radiotherapy appointment and then brought me back to a &E when they finished um so it was just a case of it's like being on a roundabout and you've just got to go with it and trust and I remember lying in hospital on my birthday in the evening and one of the doctors came round, and he said what's the matter and I said I just I, I feel rubbish and he said okay where are we and he had a look at the date and he said well you've you've hit like rock bottom he said from here 
it will carry on being as it is because you're, you're almost like when you start radiotherapy it takes three weeks for the symptoms to kick in and then you kind of get to the point where it's finished but for another three weeks you still feel the same and then really slowly things start to come back and you said it will be like the salty things will come back first and sweet flavors are the last one and I said to him well is this normal you know is this like how I should feel and he said yeah and I think once I heard that, I thought, well, you just got to go with it. So I sort of tried to change my attitude and just basically deal with it. Um, and it was getting to the point where then my treatment finished Christmas Eve. So the last one was the morning of Christmas Eve. And I went down to stay with family, um, uh, sort of Christmas, New Year. And every time I went anywhere, I had to have um, I got like a washing up bowl because you just get it's horrible to talk about. But anybody that's been through it will know you get almost like this constant mucus. I felt like um, uh, Ronald Weasley and Harry Potter when he has the slugs. That's literally what it feels like. Um, oh, what an it, image. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. And when I saw my consultant and I was walking around, well, walking, I was sort of going around in a wheelchair. Um, and she went, oh, yeah, you know, the obligatory washing up bowl, you know, that's good to see. And it was just normal to them. And I think that makes you feel so much better because you think, well, obviously, it's just part of the process. Um, and I think at my worst was over Christmas and New Year, my husband and son were in, trying to enjoy Christmas dinner. I just didn't feel like eating anything. Um, and all I could get that down at that point was cans of 7-Up because I could sort of taste the, the lemon um, and the bubbles just kind of left my mouth feeling a little bit um, left sore because it's not just those symptoms it's the radiotherapy I look like I've got sunburn on the side of my face and neck um my hair all started falling out I had blisters um it actually destroys your taste buds and then they renew themselves every two weeks so I had no taste buds for weeks and months um and then you end up with sort of um sores ulcers my gums were inflamed um my gums kept bleeding trying to then do things like brushing your teeth is just a nightmare I mean even now I have to use a baby toothbrush um I've invested in a, a really decent electric toothbrush which has got quite little heads on um so that I can actually get in and try my best to clean everything I haven't seen what my tongue looks like since August 2013 um, and probably never will do again um, and I think it's just accepting the adjustments it's having to completely change what I can or can't eat um, how I eat even things that I, I know I can eat some days it's just impossible because of how the symptoms are affecting me um, like trying to plan to go out for dinner it's sort of looking at a menu and saying well what's on there that I can actually physically I can't eat adult size portions anymore because it's gone cold before I even get probably a quarter of the way through um so I tend to order child portions and then you don't get the choice um it's not a completely soft diet because I refuse to let that happen I didn't want to be on sort of a, a liquid diet forever I mean as mm -hmm. I say when it started I was 40 I'm going to be 15 in December and the thought of like living as long as I end up having left with just having soft diet was just not appealing and I mean, going out for a meal is a nice thing to look forward to, but it's also something you have to do to, to survive. So it's, I didn't want it to feel like it's a chore either. So it's having an approach that is a positive attitude and just sort of dealing with 
each day as it comes really because you just don't know some days you know are good and they're sort of normal for me and then other days they're just you know I feel like I don't eat anything and then you know, my weight drops and don't feel like you've got any energy and it sort of just causes other things you get a bit more run down so it's just a constant um I don't know what the word is there's just constant symptoms but they're not always the same every day if that makes sense Something I did want to ask you, if you're okay to talk about it, of course, is um, a lot of the people that we speak to, they're saying that um, the mental health side of having mouth cancer is, or even just cancer in general, is not spoken about enough. And um, are you able to talk about what the mental health side of your diagnosis was like for you? Um, You know, in as much or as little detail as you want, it's a tough subject to talk about, but... I'd really love to know if you're able to share it. Um, I think I'd have to agree. I think after I'd gone through things, I was on the journey and having the treatment, I assumed there would be a group for people with trismus and other symptoms that then come on the back of having the treatment for mouth cancer, and there isn't. And there are so many different degrees of how it can affect you. And I think that's something that would have been really, really helpful. Um, I know people since I've had my um, diagnosis that are now on the journey. And I sort of try and say to them, you know, if you want any support or advice, you know, just ask me. Um, I think I go through phases where I have what I'd call a wobble, where I feel sorry for myself. You know, I have a little bit of a cry, but it tends to be maybe like sort of 20 minutes in a day. I... I don't let myself go down that route because the one thing my oncologist said that was the most helpful is if you start to get to that point where you feel really down, getting back up to being positive is really hard. And I tend to be quite an optimistic person anyway. And I think it could have been a lot, lot worse. You know, I am still here. I've got through it. I think hopefully now my chances of it reoccurring are the same as anybody else's. Um, I've changed things in my lifestyle to, you know, give me a better chance. Um, but I think I look different. I feel different. I sound different. You know, things I do on a day-to-day basis are different. But I don't let that define who I am. I just learn to work with it and incorporate it in my life and um, just deal with it, you know, as as I can, really. Mm. I think that's really key. I mean, you're right, things are going to be different, but it's about being able to come back from it and grow and not let it change you for the worst. Yeah, I mean, some people, you know, struggle and there's different parts that people find the worst part. I mean, we were talking to somebody a few weeks ago who found the worst part was the biopsy before treatment. And she's diagnosed with PTSD um which a lot of um you know sufferers have gone through uh mm. the the diagnosis and the treatment have been di- diagnosed with and i think you're right i think having someone to talk to is you know i mean i i you know whenever you've got something you know a condition talking to somebody else who's got the same i think you can talk in different language can't you and you know like you say about the um the washing up bowl you know we know that but if you say it to somebody who's never experienced it they are going to go oh my goodness but you know when you're in a, a safe space where everybody has kind of done the same thing not exactly the same but 
they're on the same page as you. I think it's a great um, a great way of um, helping each other. And I think everybody gets something from it with any luck. Absolutely. I think it's, um, and I think obviously what you guys do to raise awareness is so good um, because it gives people, it makes them realise that the diagnosis doesn't have to be the end. Um, and I think it's interesting what you were saying. Um, when I had my diagnosis and I was then waiting for the treatment to start, I think for me that was the hardest part um, because every twinge I kept thinking is that the cancer spreading and the sooner they get it done and it's out, the better. Um, and I can remember the one question asking my consultant in the last surgery I went into um, was it saying, you know, do, do I need to be writing a bucket list? Because I didn't know the way they were talking you know, is it severe enough that there's nothing they can do? Because they can't guarantee, they can only do what they, you know, the treatment they can offer. They can't say, yes, this is going to fix it. Um, but they said, no, we think, you know, if we get this done, then, you know, hopefully you should be okay. Um, and by, I think, whatever it was, um, sort of the April following, so April 2014, you know, I was back at work um, and you just get on with life. And that's, that's weird as well the other thing is when I think you really kind of need to ask for help was after my treatment had finished um and you're so used to having people checking in on you every day mm -hmm. you're seeing somebody every day and suddenly everybody's mm -hmm. gone and then they're at the end of the phone but you just are left to sort of recover at home quietly and that is the weirdest thing because life moves on and you sort of feel not like you've been forgotten about, but you do start to feel a little bit lost. Um, and that, I think, is a good time for people to sort of really know Macmillan yeah. are great. You know, there's people out there, like again with you guys, that there is support and knowing where to go and look for it and ask for it. It's getting used to the new you, isn't it? And it the is. things that you did before was the old you. You can yes. still do those things, but with a new perspective on it. And I think, you know, once, like you say, the wait between being diagnosed and treated, I think a lot of people feel so much better when there's a plan in place because you yes. then know what stages you're going to go through and it kind of focuses, you know, you know, it's much more... Um, explanatory and it, it's um something that you can work with and you know that there's a goal at the end of it so i think that that obviously you know we would love people to be diagnosed very very early and have the treatment done you know the next day but um you know things don't work like that but uh i think that once the plan is in place which i'm you know i'm sure they try and get it done as quickly as possible it's yes. a weight off almost yeah absolutely now you've said so many amazing things in just a short time Sarah but I wonder if you've got maybe just one golden piece of advice if you will just either to someone that's going through this journey or they think they might have some worrying symptoms or um, they, they just need a little bit of encouragement from someone that's been there you know what 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 kind of things would you say? Um, I think when you're looking for advice, the best um, places to go to are the people who kind of understand it. So like, you know, you guys, um, I think it, one thing that somebody said to me again, which was really helpful, um, I remember speaking to my GP and I was sort of looking, this was during treatment, and this was I was coming to the end about, you know, what comes next and looking at sort of statistics and things and Googling, you know, like what happens afterwards. And he said, the thing is, 
you're not a statistic you know you are you and you are unique and your situation is unique although other people are going through something similar like you said earlier it's not the same and when you start looking at statistics it's very easy to get caught up in the negative and that completely change your approach and I think stay as positive as you can and you know ask questions um take advice but I think trust your instinct um and if you're not happy get a second opinion I mean the one thing for me that I'm I'm glad I have done is with getting the second opinion about whether there is anything further they can do they didn't think there was and I said wait for you to do this surgery I mean I've been waiting four years because it's pre-covid um they don't even know if it's going to fix it and then I've got to decide whether it's worth taking the risk for what it's going to achieve while it's there and I feel I've got that little bit of control to make that decision and then that's my decision um as opposed to feeling it does change you it does change how you can do things and depending on where the cancer is you know obviously that's going to impact you differently um but it doesn't have to be a totally negative experience. I mean, the journey that she's been on and the after effects um, that she still uh, has to go through. I mean, having the, the trismus or you know, lockjaw makes everything so difficult. Things that you don't even think about, you know, when you know they're not able to give her um, a general anesthetic normally they would have to do a tracheotomy because they can't get the tubes in her mouth and little things like that and not being able to eat or you know getting a straw in her mouth or even having her teeth looked at at the dentist it affects everything and I think she's um, a testament to her uh, determination that she's able to function as well as she can and her sense of humor and her as I say you know I don't think you know how how strong you can be until you're put in a situation and um, all of our ambassadors um, have just shown us so much and um, I'm totally in awe of all of them and I think they are amazing.